You do have Kalinar, which means you were at Galatep. If your lies are going to be this transparent, it's going to be a very short interrogation. Well, in that case, I'll try to make my lies more opaque. Greetings, everyone. Matt here, and welcome to Star Trek Essentials, the voyage each week review the very best of the first 50 years of the Star Trek franchise. As for today's episode, I'll be talking about the Star Trek Deep Space Nine episode entitled Duet. Let's start for the uninitiated with a bit about the series. Deep Space Nine centers on a former Cardassian space station after the Bajorans have liberated themselves from the long and brutal Cardassian occupation, the Federation is invited by the Bajoran Provisional Government to administer joint control of the station, setting the show on a space station made continuing story arcs and the appearance of recurring characters more feasible. As a little refresher specifically for this episode, in duet, Major Kira finds herself compelled to confront an apparent war criminal, the brutally efficient head of the Galatep slave labor camp. And with that, Let's jump into the episode. The episode opens with Kira and Dax chit-chatting in ops. It's nice just to see a nice mundane workday of the normal business of ops going on, particularly in light of later seasons where there's not much mundane operations going on. Also, I found it so interesting to see Sisko without a beard and with hair on his head. He not only looks much younger, but much less authoritative. This was, I think, part of his character in the first season or two to kind of you know, have a sense of less authority. At the time, for initial viewing, uh, I think that for many of us it was a negative. But looking back, it just absolutely gave him room to grow. Certainly, uh, you know, that's a metaphor for the series in general. That it you know, starts in such a, a dire and spare place and, and there finds... Uh, Potential that, that certainly other Star Trek shows did not have. Anyhow, at that point in the episode, the inciting problem for our drama is introduced. A freighter has a passenger made very sick with Kalanora, an illness that Kira kindly explains to Sisko and us as being a result of a mining accident at a Bajoran forced labor camp. Within its own story significance for the episode, it's also a reminder of the shifting role of Bajorans from prior to the series through the conclusion of the series. When introduced in The Next Generation, the Bajorans were very clearly a metaphor for post-World War II Jews, having had their homeland and self-identity ravaged by the evil occupying Cardassians. Deep Space Nine, the station, as a frontier crossroads, added the layer of Bajorans as a kind of analog for Native Americans, similarly having had their homeland and self-identity ravaged, though now in a, a kind of a wary equilibrium the Bajorans are with the nice, friendly Starfleet types who occupy the station. Anyhow, the story moves to the infirmary, and the kicker to the teaser act becomes clear. Kira has stated that she only knows the disease affecting Bajorans, but with Bashir revealing that the patient is a Cardassian, we're in for a shock. The teaser act ends with Kira upping the ante, calling security to the infirmary. Why? Well, the episode just simply doesn't want us to know yet. 
With that, we get the credit sequence, and then quickly, our questions are answered once the Cardassian skedaddles on out of the infirmary and into the waiting arms of security. This is outrageous. On what charge? Will somebody tell me what's going on? This man needs medical care. Then give it to him in his cell. I haven't done anything. Then why did you run? I'm trying to get away from this Bajoran fanatic. Look at the hate in her eyes. She'd like to kill me. Oh. And why would that be? Well, it's obvious. I'm a Cardassian. He's not just any Cardassian. He's a war criminal. Note that the sequence isn't just setting up the basic conflict of discovering this man's sins, albeit before the twists and turns that follow. It also sets up what I would argue is the real conflict of the episode. Not the life lesson or the theme, but the real conflict, that of prejudice. Such a broad topic is indeed normally what we would learn about ourselves by way of the life lesson, but this episode twists the idea into it being a tool through which Maritza bends and twists those around him. Anyhow, back to the plot. Kira reports to Cisco, and again, the episode is deceptively simple. Cisco quotes the rulebook, specifically that Maritza is a sick and legal passenger of a Federation freighter, and somehow now he's ended up in the brig. Kira, in a wonderful line, says that what she's done might not be by the rules, and it might not be legal, but it is right. But the story is a bit dark as to the why, and after Kira declares that he's charged with contracting Kalinora, Sisko says, do you want to explain that to me? And hey, that's something that we, the audience, want as well. The only way he could have contracted that condition was to have served at the Galatep labor camp at the time of the mining accident. So that makes him a war criminal just being there. Mander, if you'd been there 12 years ago when we liberated that camp, if you'd seen the things I saw, all those Bajoran bodies, starved, brutalized, you know what Cardassian policy was? Oh, I'm not even talking about the murder. Murder was just the end of the fun for them. First came the humiliation. Mothers raped in front of their children. Husbands beaten until their wives couldn't recognize them. Old people buried alive because they couldn't work anymore. I think I'll have a talk with our guest. I'll come with you. No, Major. It'd be better if I spoke to him alone. After that scene, this certainly isn't your father's classic trek, where the vagaries of racism were covered in makeup, or even TNG, where glimpses of this harder edge seem to live and die in season one with Tasha Yar. Here we have Trek being brave enough to tackle the whole of the Holocaust, at least in one small, intense way, by examining the Galatep labor camp. I can only imagine what it was like to see this episode new and as an adult. Much of season one I saw as a young teen when it originally aired. The images conjured up by Kira's dialogue are brutal indeed, but to suspend disbelief as a new viewer, we're only seven minutes into this episode. The analog is clear. Here the Bajorans are Jews, now free, and this Cardassian is a Nazi, now jailed. The first-time viewer can only wonder, what is next? What could the plot possibly give us in addition to what appears to be an open-and-shut case? It is, of course, part of the, uh, the majesty of this episode. It's wonderful construction. 
The story continues as Sisko starts to question the Cardassian, and the scene is standard enough, with Federation niceties exchanged, Sisko neutrally asking questions and receiving answers about the Cardassian having a similar but unrelated condition, uh, that he was never on Bajor, that he was never at any labor camp. The scene is punctuated by two things. First is actor Harris Yellen's wonderful voice as he plays Maritza. Yellen, who I best remember as playing the judge in Ghostbusters 2, has had quite a career. His first movie came out in 1970. His most recent one will come out in October 2013. His voice is marvelous, with a gravelly nature that I associate with the mostly bygone era of smoking being the norm. Labrick. I've never been to Bajor. I was a military file clerk. I reside now on Cora 2. Just absolutely marvelous. The second punctuation to the scene is what's going on in the background of Cisco's side of the conversation. Consider in a time on television where screens were square, where shows were shot on film but never broadcasted as clearly, where the viewing audience was, in general, rarely savvy enough to look for changes in the background. In that time, behind Cisco, we have a prisoner in the far cell, out of focus, not moving at first, then slowly rolling and awakening as the far more important conversation takes place. Then, the most forgettable and most important character to the episode, a no-name day player. Truly, if you've never seen the episode, he's no one of Star Trek fame, but he awakens. Am I still drunk, or am I in jail with a Cardassian? Odo! You're not keeping me in here with one of those! Odo! Odo! I put myself in your hands, Commander. It's a lot of yelling and loudness meant to hide the importance of the scene, specifically that we're to remember him and his animosity, but this is all hidden behind the smallest counterpoint to the story thus far. Kira dislikes Cardassians, but angrily wishes to prosecute Maritza over his perceived and or likely sins. However, this drunken Pajoran in jail simply hates Cardassians, albeit for their sins as a people. With that, the story moves to Sisko's office, where Dr. Bashir gamely functions to tell Sisko and us that Maritza absolutely positively has Kalinora, not the other thing, and he could have only gotten it from the labor camp. Bashir, underused here, does get a nice little camera move thrown his way, albeit with his exit. The camera follows him out in the background, then focuses on the comm pad in the foreground. It's the Bajoran Provisional Government Online, and they're eager to have captured what we've been told is a bad, bad man. Though, Cisco, still a lower-level bureaucrat for the Federation, is trying to toe the line. Let's not forget that one of the many departures that Deep Space Nine brought us was a view outside of the perfect working order of Federation starships. The station is part of independent Bajor, but being custodially run by Starfleet. It's a nice bit of previous story conceit 
that works wonderfully here. Sisko has to be the best Starfleet commander he can be, albeit while still acknowledging that he was placed in the boonies when this was still a crud assignment before the discovery of the wormhole that made DS9 the crossroads of the quadrant. So he's got to be that best Starfleet commander he can be while pleasing his Bajoran hosts, hosts who have their eye on joining the Federation and vice versa. It's all a far cry from our beloved and sagacious Picard mulling over a problem with T, Earl Grey Hot. We get the act break, then Sisko going for a walk on the spectacular promenade set. He goes down the stairs, which exit directly to the table for two where Kira is sulking. Okay. There's dialogue to review that Starfleet is in control and Sisko's desire for the impartial Odo, who Sisko sees as impartial despite Odo working for the Bajoran militia, uh, for Odo to handle the investigation. That said, Kira gives a very passionate and objectively moving speech that she must speak for the victims who cannot. With that, she's given the go-ahead and walks to Odo's office, the jail being behind it, just in time for her and us to see boozy McDrunken Bajoran being set loose. It is, of course, his second appearance, and there will be, rather prophetically, a third one. However, back to where we are in the plot. With that, Kira goes to question Maritza, who admits in an almost baiting tone that he was an exalted filing clerk, an exemplary one who never lost a single file, the very opposite of the bloody-handed monster Kira was searching for, going so far as to deny the existence of atrocities outright. I vaguely recall hearing scream from time to time. Atrocities, no. You expect me to believe. You knew nothing of the murders, the tortures. You never saw the bodies. Of course I saw bodies. People died all the time at Galatep. Mining accidents, illnesses, feuds among the workers. You're saying Bajorans killed each other? At times. Over food, a blanket, a woman. The conditions were harsh. It was a labor camp, Major. I helped liberate that camp. I saw the bodies. I know how they died. You saw what we wanted you to see. Who do you think started the rumors about brutality at Galatep? It was Gondahil himself. Now there was a leader, brilliant, extraordinary man. He knew that to rule by fear was to rule completely. Well, why bother with actual mass murders when just the reports of such incidents would have the same effect? Which was? You know as well as I do, Major, to keep you Bajorans thinking of yourselves as victims, to keep you afraid and helpless. It's a masterpiece of writing, of delivery, one that serves to put away the bogeyman of the Cardassians as Nazis and reframe the Bajorans as pawns of their own fear. Let's not forget that this is season one. We've only spent 17 episodes previous to this one in this series, plus a few other Bajoran bits on The Next Generation. That the Cardassians are the new stock baddies is true. That they left Bajor and its people scarred and depleted is true. But what first-time viewers cannot know exactly is where the line is between post-World War II occupation of Germany by its allies and the occupation of 
Nazis in Germany itself. The scene concludes first with Kira saying that she can't let Maritza out of jail just yet, then his response. Now she's the one lying to herself, for all she wants is vengeance. It's true, and he knows it, grinning horribly towards the camera. The Cardassian makeup was never meant to be elegant, never possessing even the biker cool of the Klingons. Cardassians look like distended skulls, and to see Maritza grinning only speaks to his evil. But it is, of course, a bit of a lie. He's actually smiling because he's found what he came to the station looking for, someone who did want vengeance, who did want to keep digging. After the act break, the perfect Gull Ducat is on the horn, browbeating poor Sisko as to the detention of Maritza. Ducat, as always, is marvelous, being articulate and silky, pushing when needed, smiling when needed, and foreshadowing. If any of these Bashoran hate mongers get their hands on him, I'll hold you personally responsible. With that, the story moves to Kira on the promenade, staring off at the stars for answers while she chats it up with Dax. Dax, who offers concerns that Kira is indeed looking for more than is there, adding that punishing Maritza without reason will do nothing, and vengeance is not enough. A short while later, we're in ops with Chief O'Brien talking to a supposedly random Bajoran staffer. Indeed, they're setting things up for the season finale. Then the story moves on to Odo, filling in Cisco that Maritza's story checks out perfectly, the military academy filing instructor bit and all. It turns out Chief O'Brien was preparing for the photo of Maritza, which will set him free, a photo sent by the Cardassians, the space email of sorts arrives, and the man ID'd as Maritza doesn't look like him. Coincidentally, there are other Cardassians in the picture, and as Dax works her Deep Space Nine Photoshop revealing Maritza, is actually the bloody-handed leader Galatep Gul Darheel. It's shocking indeed, and doesn't take us to even an act break, for the story moves to Kira confronting Maritza as being the butcher of Galatep, a wonderful dark title. Maritza slash Darheel continues to run verbal rings around Kira. How can he be accused of war crimes when there was no war, but it was an occupation? Kira is indignant and turns to leave, and Harris Yellen's perfect performance continues. Maritza was a magnificent file clerk, and I, Kaldahil, I hope you'll not think it immodest of me to say so, but I was a magnificent leader. Oh, you never saw Galatep at its height. For a labor camp, it was the very model of order and efficiency. And why? For that, you have to look to the top, to me. My word, my every glance was law, and the verdict was always the same, guilty. You're insane. Oh, no, no, Major. You can't dismiss me that easily. I did what had to be done. My men understood that, and that's why they loved me. I would order them to go out and kill Bajoran scum. And they'd do it. They'd murder them. And they'd come back covered in blood. But they felt clean. Now, why did they feel that way, Major? Because they were clean. You admit your atrocities. I admit everything. Why not? I was the best at what I did. My accomplishments speak for themselves. Can you say the same? 
You and that, that little shock car resistance cell that you belonged to, all you did was uh, annoy Cardassians while I was out exterminating Bajorans. Make sure you tell that to the tribunal. Oh, I will. And they'll sentence you to death. Let them. Don't you see it doesn't change anything? Kill me, torture me, it doesn't matter. You've already lost, Major. You can never undo what I've accomplished. The dead will still be dead. What will you do now, Major? Withhold my medicine. What the clip cannot capture is Yellen's little acting moment of grandly looking up and around at the force field wall as though he is triumphantly inspecting the bars on his prison door, knowing that they are not trapping him one bit. After the act break, a pensive Kira is sitting in Odo's office, stewing. Kira, talking to Odo, wonders aloud how many other escaped war criminals are out there, again echoing the idea that this episode closely runs to the analog of Nazis after the war. But just as importantly... Kira lets her rage bubble up, that anger being crucial to the real wallop that we'll feel at the end of the episode. And this lets out how the prisoner knew about her history of being a freedom fighter. Odo in turn wonders how someone in charge of a labor camp, someone not fighting the insurgent Bajorans, would know of her and declares that something is not right. Kira goes back to the Cardassian and his answer that the brilliant Maritza kept track of it all. Though, with further questions, Harris Yellen inserts little pauses into his performance, little moments where Maritza is thinking, trying to keep one step ahead of it all. The story then moves outside Odo's office, where we see Bajoran survivors of Galatep, who are outside Odo's office, waiting for justice. With that, the clown prince of the station, Quark, only adds to the episode's ominous tone by calling Galatap an awful hellhole and being thankful for never having seen it. Here, Quark is being used, despite all his comedic power and despite the little slight bit of humor that's going to be slipped in in a moment. I think here the idea is that since he is the, the funny character, for him to be so serious at the offset only only reminds us of the seriousness of the episode. But it, it's it's after that bit of seriousness that then Quark is able to deliver the jokeful question, wondering if survivors, those survivors in particular, like to gamble. Odo's stunned, silent reaction is a reminder to the audience that we may smile at the brief ray of sunshine in this episode, but we shouldn't linger. And indeed, the story does not, as Odo goes to the infirmary, he talks to Bashir about how Eamon Maritza requested information on Kira a few months ago. While Bashir works on that, Gul Dukat calls Odo to relay in all sincerity that Gul Darheel is very dead and very buried. Mark Alamo's smooth performance as Dukat makes us believe him when he truly says that Darheel is dead, and the notion is further strengthened when Dukat gives Odo limited access to the files in order to prove that the man in the cell is not Darheel. Indeed, the story moves back to the cell where Maritza raves marvelously, justifying the genocide as doing what needed to be done for the greater glory of Cardassia. The capper to end the act, Odo calls Kira away and reveals that between him and Bashir, they can say it conclusively. That is not Gul'dar Heel, 
and the man in the cell wanted to be caught. With that, we're taken to an act break, and after it, Sisko gets the information, while Kira smolders and claims all evidence to the contrary are lies. But things get stated rather plainly to the audience, as we're supposed to be quite clear on the point. Maritza has Kalinora, which could only be contracted at Galatep, and Darheel received a very public award on Cardassia when the accident precipitating Kalinora happened on Galatep. Heck, Sisko even clears it up for us further, saying, then he couldn't be Galdarheel. Everybody on the same page now? Odo adds that Maritza quit his job, wrapped up his business, tipped his housekeeper, and chose a transport that would take him through DS9. As Kira's case starts to fall apart, she stresses that Maritza will be charged with the crimes of Darheel, and Sisko says that isn't necessarily so. It's as though we need one more bit of proof. And with that, Bashir enters with one more bit of proof. Pretty standard, really, except for one thing, which is five years ago, after arriving on Cora 2, he started taking massive doses of dermatorelian plasticine, which is a dermal regenerative agent used to maintain skin resilience after cosmetic alteration. You're saying he changed his face to look like Galdar Hill. So there you go. Kira, the audience, and all are now convinced. Maritza the file clerk is indeed Maritza the file clerk. Thus, Kira goes to see Maritza, telling him that Darheel was away from the camp when the accident occurred. Harris Yolen goes through a rainbow of emotions, rage, indignance, victory, self-pity, and ultimately a breakdown from madness. That's ridiculous. Receiving your proficient service medallion. The reports are wrong. I can show them to you. That won't be necessary. I know where I was. Why were you taking a dermal regenerative? I don't know what you're talking about. Then let me help you. Five years ago, when you first got to court. All right, that's enough. Your presence no longer amuses me. Get out. Why did you have your face altered? Security, get this woman out of here. Why are you pretending to be Guldar Heel? Why don't you ask me something intelligent? As for instance, how did I feel when we were withdrawing from Bajor? The answer is I was furious. The thought of leaving any survivors behind was repulsive to me. So while our, our useless office clerks were packing their precious files, I ordered my overseers to begin slaughtering the laborers. If you felt that way about your filing clerks, why did you take Moritz's name? My plan was to do nothing less than kill every Bajoran in the camp. And to this day, my one regret is that I was not able to accomplish this honorable goal. You're Maritza, aren't you? You mistake me for that bug. That would bring nothing. Oh, you stupid Bajoran girl, don't you know who I am? I'm your nemesis. I'm your nightmare. I'm the Butcher of Galatep. The Butcher of Galatep died six years ago. You're Eamon Maritza, his filing clerk. That's not true. I am alive. I'll always be alive. It's Maritza who's dead. Maritza, who was good for nothing but cowering under his bunk and weeping like a woman, who every night covered his ears because he couldn't bear to hear the screaming for mercy of the Pajoras. <laughs> Oh, 
As Maritza starts to refer to himself as Maritza again, it becomes clear that this isn't just a great performance. It's one of the great performances of Star Trek. Kira turns off the force field, letting him go, recognizing in the very best of Star Trek ethic that the innocent must go free, despite Maritza's motivations. Major, you have to go out and tell them I'm Galdail. It's the only way. Why are you doing this? For Cardassia. Cardassia will only survive if it stands in front of Bajor and admits the truth. My trial will force Cardassia to acknowledge its guilt. And we're guilty, all of us. My death is necessary. What you're asking for is another murder. Enough good people have already died. I won't help kill another. Noble indeed, and cut out of the whole cloth of our Star Trek heroes doing what we aspire to do, to rise above ourselves and to be the very best of our nature. But, but, this is Deep Space Nine, a show elementally built on the edge of Gene Roddenberry's perfect future, a show that somehow in the sunny, easy 1990s, previewed the decade of television that would follow, previewed the clouds that would come over our society, if only at the edges in the 2000s. This is Deep Space Nine, where it's not just the best of the best who inhabit the station. Kira escorts Maritza out of Odo's office, the episode heading to its normal Star Trek end. You should be back on Korra 2 in three days. Well, there's nothing for me to go back to. We've contacted officials there. They'll be waiting to help you. If they believe that I was Goldar Heel, then my trial might have helped to bring about a new Cardassia. Now you've told them I was just a file clerk. What you tried to do was very honorable. If Cardassia is going to change, it's going to need people like you. Then the angry drunk reappears. <laughs> Maritza is stabbed in the back, killing him. Why? He wasn't our heel. Why? He's a Cardassian. That's reason enough. No. It's not. As the camera first dollies, then cranes back, we're left with the image of the freedom fighter holding the body of the dead. If there's any criticism to this episode, it is that Maritza's death happens quickly, one knife to the back, and he's dead while a crowd gathers and no sci-fi medicine is explored. However, it isn't a criticism that I have. It is a rare plot which must acceptably bend details around the needs of the story. But here, that is just what is required. That Maritza dies quickly isn't the point. The point is that hate begets hate, and the least of all characters, the jailhouse drunken Kanon, is the one who killed an innocent man. Those were the demands of the story, and thus we end with Maritza dead. So now the big question, what is it that makes this episode a Star Trek essential? You know, for those of you who are not big Deep Space Nine fans, uh, as indeed I was not during the run of the show, despite having... Uh, having grown up watching Next Generation and uh, gone back and discovered the original series and the movies and all that, 
first of all, Deep Space Nine uh, offers this rich tapestry of, of characters and story unlike any other uh, of the Star Trek uh, series. But beyond that, you can't help but look back and watch Deep Space Nine now, watch all seven seasons, and not see it through the lens of the events of the, uh, the early 21st century. And somehow it feels like Deep Space Nine um, is, is reflecting that time or discussing that time when, in fact, it predates that time. Perhaps it's just an indication that, uh, oh, things like... Uh, well, it could be as general as loneliness or things as specific as uh, wartime, the effects that war has on soldiers, this sort of thing, that these are, in fact, a lot more universal and reflective of the human experience than, uh, than we like to think. But this episode is just, it, it, it's, it's more than a conversation about the Holocaust. It's more than a conversation about uh, survivor's guilt. It really is an opportunity and a rare one in Star Trek to hold the mirror up, not only to the evils of society at large. We understand that. We acknowledge that such evil is out there. We, we hopefully overcome it when evil is at its worst. But, you know, the true villain in this episode, as I, as I said towards the beginning of the podcast, the true villain is not Maritza. The true villain is not within this episode even the evil cardassians who we can agree have have the blood of many on their hands it's it's you know simple racism simple anger which is the villain in this episode justified anger absolutely but it's just it's this this stunning idea particularly uh, to think that this episode would have been viewed concurrent to some of the best of uh, Next Generation episodes airing, the, the tip-top ship with the, the team that gets along so well. In, in fact, that kind of lack of conflict is something that uh, increased throughout the seven years of the series, I think much to the chagrin of those producers at times. But this is just an essential episode because it takes us not just to the frontier of the fictional setting of the Federation, a bit beyond the Federation to independent Bajor, but it takes us to the, the frontier, I would say, of the human experience, the frontier of confronting that the, 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 the man that stabbed Maritza, the man that killed Maritza, is he any different than we would be in a similar situation? This is a man who I'm not willing to condemn mightily as a character. He is, of course, somebody who's lived through uh, a veritable holocaust of his planet, of his people, and for a, a tremendously long time. I believe the occupation was 60 or 70 years. So this is a man who knows very little about uh, about his own potential, his own independence. These are things that are brand new to him because they were denied to him for his whole life. And his reaction to... Um, well, to the notion, if, if, if you want to call his reaction, maybe maybe find the best in it, the idea that some orders should not have been followed, that Maritza had himself a responsibility to stop things, even though it was, uh, you know, it, it would have been a, a, a drop in the ocean, it would have been, uh, you know, he would have had no effect. Still, though, we are sympathetic to the fact that sometimes uh, the, the people at the lowest levels of a structure are swept along by that structure. Uh, 
but this man is not, and this man could be us. And thus, I think what makes this episode so essential is that in a strange way, the villain is sympathetic and the villain can become us, which is a tall order for drama indeed, but uh, something that this episode just pulls off absolutely in spades. With that, let's look ahead to next week. Next week, for our fourth episode of the podcast, will come from Star Trek The Next Generation. It is from Season 1, Episode 6, Where No One Has Gone Before. Pete will come back and we will discuss that. Speaking of Pete, if you'd like to be in touch with him on Twitter, his Twitter name is Peter J. Ketelar. That's P-I-E-T-E-R-J-Ketelar, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. And I am found on Twitter as Looking Back Lost. But of course, you can be in touch with the podcast under Fantastic Geek. That is fantastic with a PH. You can find us under that name on the dot com, the Gmail, the Twitter, the Instagram, and of course, the Facebook, where we are continuing to uh, see what people's thoughts are regarding uh, the August slate of, uh, of podcast episodes for, uh, for our Star Trek run here. Of course, looking ahead into the, the fall, we will be talking uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well as Luke Cage. And uh, we have some goodies planned for 2017 as well. So with that, this is where our discussion of uh, this Deep Space Nine episode entitled Duet comes to an end. Hope that you join us again next week. Thank you one and all for listening, and bye-bye.